Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It is a pleasure and delight to have you with us today. This episode is pretty unique in the history of the 1514 podcast because we're addressing and talking about a particular attack that has come against biblical counseling. Specifically in the city of West Lafayette, Indiana, there's an ordinance that has been proposed that would limit what biblical counselors in that area can do and threaten to fine them financially if they do not comply with this ordinance. Pastor Steve Viers, who's been a guest on the BCC podcast before, is a board member of the Biblical Counseling Coalition and very familiar to most of you has joined us to share with us what's going on in Lafayette, what they have done about it, what you can learn from it, and how you can actually participate with them against this particular legislative action, but also be aware of how to address similar situations in contexts near you. We'll post a lot of extra links in our show notes so that you can find the website that he references, the ordinance, as well as some other things that we talk about in the podcast. So thanks so much for joining us. I hope that you are encouraged by this episode and emboldened to take action in your local context and help support the ministry of faith in their efforts as well. Thanks so much. Today, our guest is very familiar to many of you. I have Dr. Steve Viers, pastor of Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. Thanks, Steve, for joining us today for 1514. It's really a privilege to do so, Curtis. So, Steve, this podcast is a little bit unique because we are discussing an issue that is facing your church and the ministries at Faith uh, specifically and thinking about how we can come alongside you in this particular instance, but also the lessons that we can learn from how you guys are handling this very difficult situation. But for those who don't know, can you tell everybody what's been going on in the last uh, month, month and a half uh, in West Lafayette? Sure. If I could just give a bit of brief background to set this in context for anybody who's not familiar with where we're coming from. Our our church was started 54 years ago. So we were a church plant of another um, dear church that saw an area of town that was growing and scooped off five of their couples and sent them to plant a brand new church. We're really glad about that part of our history. And then 45 years ago, uh, my predecessor, Bill Goode, and his co-laborer, Dr. Bob Smith, a medical doctor, started Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries. So for the last 45 years, we've been providing um, faith-based biblical counseling to anybody in our community who wanted it free of charge. And um, it's been a delightful ministry. Um, It's part of our view of just trying to love our community every way we possibly can. Since then, we've developed community centers, et cetera, et cetera. And that was part of what I tried to emphasize in a book I had the privilege of writing several years ago, Loving Your Community. So, you know, we don't wake up every morning to get in a fight. We wake up every morning just to try to love our neighbors, meet needs. If they're interested in counseling, provide that and see as many people from our town one to Jesus as possible. So, So Matthew 5 13 to 16 really guides us. Let, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. We um, are located, our initial campus was on the extreme east side of Lafayette, but we're also in a community where Purdue University is on the other side of the river in West Lafayette. 
that's a very important mission field, um, over 40,000 students, many of them coming from other countries to study engineering. So we see it as a marvelous mission field. And even though it was on the um, other side of the town from our initial location, we always tried to have a, a Purdue ministry that was very important to us. But we've been looking for a, a, a piece of ground that we could develop a second campus that um, was closer to the university where we could provide um, biblical counseling services to the um, students and staff and um, uh, faculty with, um, uh, there would be a closer drive. And so about seven years ago, we were able to do that, but it actually became very controversial. Um, when people found out, we named the campus Faith West. And when people figured out that the faith that we were talking about was the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, we were talking about being a Bible-believing church. And while we weren't going to force that on anybody, that's what we were all about. That our, our church has been about that since our very inception. And, and because by God's sovereign plan, he allowed us to buy a very prominent piece of property right at the entrance to the university, that really created an incredible amount of controversy. People just did not want a Bible-believing church located that near the entrance of, to a university. And, and frankly, the level of animals toward us was, um, it was a bit stunning. And um, I had never experienced that level of controversy. I think most people in West Lafayette would say that was the most controversial development in the last 25 years in our community, which is stunning that it was simple. I mean, what was our crime? It's because we're a Bible-believing church. Well, that's where we want to be. We want to be right on the edge of the spear. So we want to be where um, uh, ministry is challenging. And um, so if that's what God called us to, fine. Um, about six weeks ago, uh, we learned that the West Lafayette City Council was proposing a new ordinance, Ordinance 3121, which is aimed at um, non-licensed counselors. Now, as far as we can determine, this would be one of the first places in the entire United States that this kind of ordinance would be passed aimed at non-licensed counselors. And it totally caught me off guard. I had no idea that anybody was concerned about this or trying these kinds of um, pieces of legislation. That's one of the reasons I'm glad we're able to do this blog or this um, podcast is just to alert others because I really do believe this is coming to a theater near you. I believe this is part of a orchestrated strategy. In fact, um, progressive activists have been tracking for years the conversion therapy bans they've been able to pass against licensed counselors all around the country. So you can go to a website and it'll show you exactly where they are in passing those kind of efforts. And I, I respect the fact that they believe what they believe and they're advocating strongly um, to enact those kind of laws. Good for them that they'll stand up for what they believe. Um, well, they've never tried to do it, at least as far as I can tell, um, against unlicensed counselors until now or there may be one other one, but this is on the front end of this. And what they're seeking to ban is what they call conversion therapy with minors. And they have suggested in their proposed ordinance that um, if a person practices, again, what they call conversion therapy with minors within the city limits, that person would be fined um, $1,000 per day. Now, the, the challenge, because you guys are, I didn't know faith practiced conversion therapy. 
Well, it's, it's all about the definitions. And that's where this particular piece of legislation becomes very, very deceptive. And that's what I would encourage your um, listeners to think through very carefully. Um, the way they define conversion therapy in the ordinance is far broader than what conversion therapy or reparative therapy has um, meant in the history of psychological terminology. You know, we've never practiced conversion therapy, if by that you mean the secular practice of attaching um, electric wires to someone's sexual organs and then showing them a picture of a person of the same sex, and then when they're sexually aroused, shocking them as an attempt to change their behavior or doing the same with a jar of ammonia. That's what classical conversion therapy was. And, and that was not developed by Christians. That was developed by the secular world. That was rank behaviorism. Now, I realize that some Christians um, undoubtedly picked up on that practice, but certainly not anybody doing biblical counseling. So at faith, over our entire history, we've never practiced conversion therapy. We've never practiced um, reparative therapy, if that's the definition that we're talking about. However, and this is the key point, that's not the way conversion therapy is defined in this particular um, ordinance. What it says is um, any practice or treatment that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity, including efforts to change behaviors or general gender expressions or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same gender. It also defines counseling as techniques used to help individuals learn how to solve problems, to make decisions related to personal growth, vocational, family, and other personal concerns. And you read that and you say, oh, wait a minute, that's not classical conversion therapy. In fact, any parent who would open the word of God with their minor child to speak with them about the topic of human sexuality would be guilty of a crime according to this ordinance. It would certainly be true of any small group leader, absolutely true of any biblical counselor who would just, and remember, we don't practice coercion. So we're not chasing people around and trying to um, uh, impose the Bible on them. We're talking about people who voluntarily come to us for counseling. If we just open the Bible to a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or any other number of passages that we could mention about human sexuality, we would be criminals according to this particular ordinance. And so that's the issue. And so one of the ways I've tried to just illustrate this is it would be like if the the city council proposed a, an ordinance to ban baking of fruitcakes. But I'd actually be in favor of that ban. Um, I don't like fruitcakes. I don't think anybody who um, brings one of those pieces of red or green goo into our city, I think we ought to jail them. So I'm a, I would be in favor of banning the baking of fruitcakes. However, if in the same ordinance they define baking a fruitcake as making any dessert that involved flour and eggs and water and vanilla extract, you'd say, now, wait a minute, that's not baking a fruitcake, that's baking any kind of cake. Don't be, don't be criminalizing baking cakes. That's the issue here. It's intellectual dishonesty. If you're going to talk about banning conversion therapy, then define conversion therapy honestly. If you really want, if what this is really about is banning any 
um, attempt to use God's word to talk about human sexuality with people in our community than just stand up and be honest about that. And so that's really the issue before us. And um, that's what we're seeking to discuss with our city council is if you're including us, then be honest about it in the way you discuss that in this ordinance. Yeah, I appreciate that that recap and summary of, of what you guys are facing. And just to highlight a couple of things for our audience to be aware of is, the, as you mentioned, this is the first time or very near the first time where people are specifically targeting unlicensed counselors because most of these bans, uh, if people violate them, and you can, we'll put a link in the show notes to the, the map that shows these bans across the country. Most of the time, what it's after is your license. If you go against these ordinances, we will... Uh, you know, take away your license. You won't be able to practice. You won't be able to resubmit for insurance. Um, and some of them are more narrowly focused on conversion therapy as it's historically been known, but that, that has been brought in quite a bit. Um, but then this, this attack really comes after biblical counselors in a whole new way, uh, focusing on unlicensed counselors. And, um, so you found out about this six weeks ago what did, what's happened since then? What did you guys do at Faith and to walk us through that? Well, you know, what we've tried to do over the years is to develop collaborative relationships with public officials. And so we know a lot of um, members of various city councils and um, county commissioners and judges and different educational and political figures. And so we spend a lot of time out in our community. So we, we don't practice hyper-separation, where we're just concerned about what's going on within the walls of our church. And so um, this completely caught us off guard. So the, the very first thing that I did was um, called the, the mayor of West Lafayette and called the city attorney just to try to find out what in the world was going on. I was also getting ready to go out of town. In fact, ironically, I was going down to the board meetings for the Biblical Counseling Coalition and then for our annual leadership retreat. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to mess around with city ordinances at that point, but they actually um, did all of this in secret. And, and I don't want to be mean-spirited about this, but in West Lafayette, things are different than the city of Lafayette or our county, Tippecanoe County. On the West Lafayette City Council, there are eight Democrats and one Republican. And again, I'm not saying that to make a point other than just to say that's what's happening. Our mayor in West Lafayette is a Republican gentleman. And so um, I don't know those people on that um, city council as well. And so um, the first thing I did was contacted the mayor and the um, city attorney. They got right back with me. They explained to me what was going on. They weren't quite as sure as to why I was so concerned. In fact, at first they thought, well, this ordinance doesn't really address what you guys do. And so I had to spend some time just educating them. Of, it certainly does. And um, then I wrote a letter to each one of the city council members. So I learned about it on Monday. On Thursday, I wrote a letter to the, the city council members before leaving town. And um, I had also asked one of our church's attorneys to write strong religious exemption language that we could suggest for this piece of legislation. Over the years, we've been successful at having that passed at the state level. So there's a number of um, Indiana state laws that have very specific religious exemption language that we were able to write into those bills in a collegial fashion. 
So in my letter, um, I, I requested that the, the West Lafayette City Council um, add this strong religious exemption language. And I told them, if you're not willing to do that, that's all I need to know about this bill. If you're unwilling to add strong religious exemption language, then this isn't about protecting minors. This is about harassing and silencing and penalizing um, faith-based counselors. And we just need to call it what, it what it is. I also told them, I tried to speak as respectfully as I could, but I was a little fired up about it. And I told them that if they're not willing to um, add that religious exemption language, and if it's really aimed at us, I had to um, formally tell them that we had no intention of ever obeying their ordinance. And the reason is we already have a God and it's not them. And I wanted them to understand that if we have to choose between obeying God in the kind of counsel that we give or obeying them, that decision has already been made. And I also, although Curtis, I don't like to talk this way. This is not the way I typically speak to people. I also explained to them that if they ever, ever attempted to impose that ordinance on anybody associated with Faith Church or any other church in our town, we would immediately sue them. And I explained to them that after we won, after we won the lawsuit, they'd be paying our legal fees because I believe that this is absolutely indefensible. Now, again, I don't like to talk that way. I, that's not why I went into the ministry. But if you're asking me from a strategic perspective, what did I do? Because they had done this in secret, and because they were going to have the first reading of this ordinance, well, I was going to be out of town the very next week. The goal of my initial communication with them was to, to at least slow down the train. And what was their response? I mean, has it, did it stop? Did it slow down? Where does it stand today? Well, they said that, um, first of all, only one of the nine city council members even responded to that letter, and it was a very short and snarky response. And so to this day, we're now into this about six weeks, none of the city council members have specifically responded to that letter. And I think that's outrageous, and I have told them that, and I've called them out publicly in an op-ed that just was in the uh, city newspaper yesterday on that lack of transparency. If you're a public official, you have to respond to citizen concerns. And I know my job, I get a lot of email too. But if I don't respond to letters, I get fired. And that's something else that I've had to lovingly explain to these city council members. We don't work for them. They work for us. And they need to view this process as a performance review. And they are not doing very well simply on the issue of responding to citizens' concerns. It's outrageous to threaten to fine me and my friends $1,000 a day for ministering the word of God to people who voluntarily come and ask us what Scripture says um, with a fine of $1,000 a day. And so we, we are upset about it, and they need to explain themselves to us. So they didn't. So now I'm really on the clock because I'm getting ready to leave town. So on Saturday, I, I sent out an email to our church family, and I explained to them what was going on, and I asked them to do two things. I asked them to write a respectful letter to each city council member 
asking them not to approve this ordinance. And I also encouraged our church family to attend the city council meeting in my absence. Normally city council meetings have practically nobody there. Well, by God's grace, and I'm very thankful for our church family, we don't like to get involved in controversy. Um, but if we have to stand up, if we have to fight the good fight, then they're willing to do that. And so our city council members that weekend received hundreds and hundreds of emails. That's very unusual for them to have that level of citizen involvement. Also, when they walked to the city council meeting, the room was packed, standing room only, and people from our church and now other churches who were standing outside. Um, they discussed it a little bit amongst themselves. And then our mayor um, stood before them and asked them not to approve the ordinance. And he explained that he's a former policeman and he explained it for a lot of different reasons. Um, but one of the reasons he gave was this is not enforceable. How in the world are we going to ask our city police department, which is already overburdened, to go check out the local biblical counselors and determine what they said from the Bible about human sexuality. He just he said it's unenforceable. So at that moment, um, the city council voted to table um, the ordinance. They did not allow anybody to speak publicly, um, but they um, uh, they voted to table. That was a great victory for us because it happened so quickly. To go from that's going to be heard on its first reading to they had to table it um, was a very significant victory for us. At that point, then that gave us some time. And so we developed a, um, a, a new organization called Lafayette Citizens for Freedom. And the reason for that was twofold. One, there were more churches and campus groups and individuals who were interested in being involved. And that's what we wanted. That Curtis, in my 34 years of ministry here in Lafayette, I have never seen a coalition that broad and that large come together that quickly. The second reason we started a separate organization, because we realized that this was going to become um, involvement in political advocacy at a level that I'm not sure we were perfectly comfortable for as a church. And so now uh, Lafayette Citizens for Freedom has um, been separately incorporated. And that only took, literally, it took 24 hours. It's not hard to spin off a separate LLC. But now that organization is a, um, it's its own corporation. We also, by God's grace, and it's just one of those evidences of how the Lord provides exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. And so there's a Purdue graduate student. His name is Winston Levin. Um, he's willing to lead the um, Lafayette Citizens for Freedom. We also have a gentleman in our church who does web development. And then he developed an incredible website. It's at freedomlafayette.org. And so now we've been able to populate that website with information because the city council has been so secretive. People don't know. But now we've been able to um, populate that website with an explanation of exactly what the um, ordinance is. There's a whole series of blogs and videos and social media graphics that have been created that people can go and educate themselves about what's actually going on. What are all of the reasons to oppose a piece of legislation like this? 
There's also an on, on-site petition or online petition that people can sign. And that only went live last week. So the website's been live about five days as of you and I speaking on the 10th of January. It went live about five days ago. There are over 6,500 signatures on that online petition already. And people are beginning to share out on um, their social media sites, these various blogs and videos. So people in our community are becoming more and more aware of what is happening. Um, the city council just recently voted to table the ordinance again. So they had to decide in their January meeting if they were going to um, bring it uh, to the public hearing. They voted to table it because now they're hearing from people no longer in um, hundreds, but in thousands of people who are asking them not to pass this ordinance. It's also getting out around town. What are the real issues here? And in addition to the lack of transparency on the part of the city council, and also the lack of intellectual honesty by not defining conversion therapy correctly, there's also the issues of individual freedom. We believe in self-determination. Even the secular world believes in self-determination. In other words, a counselee ought to be able to decide the kind of counsel he or she wants to have. Well, if a counselee in our community wants biblical counseling, who is the city council to stand in the way of that? That would be unethical for them to do it. So it's a violation of individual freedom. It's also a violation of parental rights. In fact, this is probably the issue that has gotten people most upset in our community. Our listeners may remember what recently happened down in the state of Virginia where um, during the governor's race, um, the Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe, said he did not believe that parents should have a role in determining their children's education. Now, I, I do agree with what one pundit said about that. He said, listen, that was not a gaffe. Terry McAuliffe was speaking honestly. That's what he and others like him believe, that a parent should not have a role in determining their child's education. Well, there are some people who believe that that's the reason McAuliffe lost that election, because parents are not going to be treated in such a dismissive and disrespectful fashion. That's what the West Lafayette City Council is trying to do in the area of counseling. They're suggesting that they know better where a parent should take their child for counseling than the parent does. In fact, we're very close to people in our community determining that if a parent takes their child to biblical counseling for human sexuality, that that is a criminal act of child abuse. We are very close to this being viewed as a, a child in need of services um, case where a child like that would be removed from their parents' home. I'm not saying we're there yet, but if that sounds outrageous, we are one step away from that. And I mentioned I wrote an op-ed yesterday in our local paper about this. And so I've been doing a little bit of online discussion with some of the people who are weighing in on the article that I wrote. I will tell you, it's chilling what some people believe. It, it, one, one gentleman said he believed that um, taking a child to Sunday school was an act of child abuse because it was wrongful indoctrination. But just think about that. We have individuals in our community. This is, this is West Lafayette, Indiana. This is the Midwest. 
who think that if a parent takes his or her children to Sunday school, that that is an act of child abuse and a child like that ought to be removed from that parent's home. So what I'm saying is what Terry McAuliffe was to education, the West Lafayette City Council is being to counseling. That is a clear violation of parental rights. Parents should be the ones who decide where their child is going to go for counseling, not the city council. It's also just obviously a, um, an infringement on religious liberty. We're going to stand up for our right to counsel people by our interpretation of the word of God. And Curtis, we've been clear about that for 45 years. We named ourselves Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries. We're not trying to hide the source of truth that we're using. We have people sign a form before they start counseling that says, I understand that the counsel I'm about to receive is based on the counselor's interpretation of the Bible. We also don't practice coercion. So we tell anybody, even a minor, listen, if you don't want to be here, all you have to tell us is you don't want to be here. And that's it. No, we don't counsel anybody by coercion. Once we get into a session, if a person starts to feel uncomfortable with what we're saying, we tell them all you have to do is raise your hand. As soon as you raise your hand, that counselor will stop talking in mid-sentence. And so we, though, insist on, because we're so transparent about what we're doing, we insist on religious liberty. And then we would also say this. This is a violation of the separation of church and state. You know, Thomas Jefferson made a promise a long time ago to the Danbury Baptists of Danbury, Connecticut, that there would always be a high wall of separation before between the state and the church. And that wasn't to keep the church out of the state. That was to keep the state out of the church. And I was having a conversation with somebody about this from the city a couple of weeks ago. And the, the gentleman said to me, well, you have to understand there's a there's a, a fine line of separation between the state and the church here. And I had to lovingly point out to that guy a fine line, my King James Bible, that there's supposed to be a, a high wall of separation. And it, it, sometimes, Curtis, I can't even believe I have to say this. The government shouldn't threaten to penalize us with a thousand dollar a day fine for using the word of God in counseling. But that is exactly where we are. Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible. And I know some people might dismiss this and think this is just kind of crazy or, you know, there's only a few people or places, but the more and more, and we'll post uh, links to the map and other things like that in our show notes so people can check it out. But the more and more this movement goes, the the more bold they're becoming and the broader the language is and the f- more people they're trying to attack. And like you said, historic church and the biblical counseling movement specifically targeted in the Midwest uh, at unlicensed counselors with with fines every single day. It's it's kind of incredible. So we want our audience not only to know about what's going on there, but I, I want people to be able to learn from what you guys have done, what you've faced. How can they um, tra- take some of what you've done and apply it in their own context? Well, I really do believe that these kinds of ordinances are going to be coming up all over the country, and I would assume it's going to be sooner than later. And so one of the reasons we've worked as hard as we have over the last six weeks, and by God's grace, with a lot of great volunteer help and a lot of great staff help, is to try to develop a best practice model. Now, I'm not saying we're best at anything, so I hope people will take whatever we've done and make it a whole lot better. 
but everything that is up on that website right now can be used by anybody. And our web developers would be more than happy to assist other people in their localities as these things become more and more prevalent. And so we're, we just have to work together. And one of the reasons I want to do a podcast like this is just to get the word out. This is what's coming. And this is what we're trying to do. And I hope people will go to freedomlafayette.org and they can help us in some very specific ways. I, I hope, first of all, they'll sign the online petition. That would be extremely helpful to us. I hope, secondly, they'll send an email. It's an auto-generated email. They click one button, and it goes to all the city councilors asking them to vote no on this ordinance. I'd like our city council members to hear from thousands of concerned citizens about this matter. Then I would really appreciate it if your listeners would just go to the website, pick one of the um, articles or um, videos, post it on their social media site along with with the, um, the, the graphics that have been created just to build awareness of what is going on and asking the people on their social media platforms to continue to spread the word about this. I would love it if more and more churches are alerted to this and more and more followers of Jesus Christ are speaking into this. And I'll just, I will give your, your listeners a fair warning. Some of it is um, hardball. And um, we're doing that on purpose. Um, we believe these are significant issues. We don't like to fight, but um, we believe we have to fight. And so if they go online and say, wow, some of that is pretty direct. Well, if someone's going to threaten to define my brothers and sisters $1,000 a day for using the word of God in counseling, I kind of feel like that's punching me in the nose. And, and so I think we have to respond and respond forcefully. And I told our church family in a sermon on this yesterday out of First Timothy that um, there's one thing worse than being punched in the nose, and that is being too drunk or too asleep to know that it happened. And so if this, what we're talking about right now, if this does not upset and motivate the people of God, I'm really not sure what it would take. And that's a fourth thing that some listeners could consider. We're actually raising some funds because we're in the process right now of putting up billboards all over our town that just say, take a stand for freedom. That's what we're encouraging. We want people in our community to understand what are the issues here. And I really believe, Curtis, even some unbelieving people would say, wait a minute. I don't want the city telling people where they can send their child for counseling. I don't want the city banning religious counseling, even if I don't agree with it. And so we're trying to increase awareness. We're also doing a social media optimization program, because what I'm hoping is every person in West Lafayette, when they open up their computer, they're going to see um, a, a Facebook ad about this very issue, because everybody has to decide. What kind of community do you want to have? What kind of community do you envision here? And I hope it's one that celebrates and promotes freedom. And then as your listeners begin just to see the process, hopefully that'll help them be better prepared when it comes to their city, if and when it does. Yeah, yeah, I think that's helpful to even just kind of have a template of here's some things that we can do that anybody could do, um, web development, communications. But one of the things that is... I think significant and unique about you and faith is the relationships that you have already established, both with the local politicians, but also the other churches. And like you said, this doesn't, 
this should be a collaborative effort among all churches in a particular area. How can people, if they haven't already um, begun to develop those kind of relationships, how can they begin to develop relationships with their local uh, political leaders, other church leaders, so that when something like this happens, they have a they have a voice, they have an opportunity, they have a relationship to speak in to these situations well. Well, I do think it has to do with just your overall philosophy of ministry of are we an inbred church where we're just seeking to meet the needs of our church members or are we an outreach church? Are we looking for as many opportunities as we possibly can to meet the needs inside our community? And I think that's one of the strong reasons to have not just a biblical counseling center, but to have a biblical counseling center that provides hours to people in the community. You know, we're recording this on Monday. Well, we have 32 people, um, physicians, uh, staff members, godly laypersons, men and women who have been trained, who are making 60 to 80 hours of biblical counseling services available to people in our community today, free of charge. Well, all of a sudden, it's not just what you're known for what you're mad about, or you're known for something politically. I want to be involved in that as little as I can. I want to be involved in meeting needs. And over time, people are going to notice that. And and I want people driving by our various campuses and saying, you know, I'm not sure I believe in their God or agree with their Bible yet, but I have to acknowledge this, maybe even grudgingly. This town is a better place because of the work they're doing. I know of marriages that have been put back together because somebody went to counseling there. I know somebody who's overcome depression because they went to counseling there. I know somebody who's handling money better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then as you start doing more and more outreach, you're just looking for as many needs as you possibly can. One of the reasons these mayors will take my call is because they know I'll take theirs. And they know if there's a need in the community and they don't have the resources, they can call us and our church will do anything we possibly can to serve them. So when you have those kinds of collaborative relationships, then it's not like the first time they've ever heard from you is when you're wound up about something. Yeah. Amen. That's good. And for those who haven't had a chance, we'll post a link to this as well, but I interviewed Steve about that book, Loving Your Community, which chronicles kind of a history of the church, but also really a biblical basis for why we should love the community and how we can grow the church through through those efforts. Steve, any other particular biblical passages that came to mind or insights, wisdom from God's Word to that guided you in this process and can help us guide both our actions and our attitudes when we encounter situations like this? Well, you know, I'm just asking the Lord and I hope for all of us is to try to be gentle, even when we have to be firm. And and it's kind of like Warren Wearsby used to like to say, balance is that elusive point I pass on the way to my next extreme. And, um, you know, I, I live there and it's interesting. You think about Philippians 2, 14 and 15, And 16, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. And so, you know, I think we have to complain about this issue but I want to do it as, as gently as I can. And if any of your listeners um, think to pray for me and for us about that, I would really ask for just balance in all of this. And um, 
The other passage, I mentioned it earlier because we were, this is what yesterday's message was all about, was um, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And, you know, that's where Paul talks about just how thankful and amazed he was that God had considered him worthy of being in the ministry. And he just reminded Timothy and us of his past as a, a blasphemer and how he had been, the text literally says he had been mercified. And then he moves into that great doxology, not of the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so it's in this great context of thanksgiving for the privilege of being saved, the beauty of the gospel, the privilege of being in the ministry. But then he said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. And so we have to, we have to take a stand. We have to take a stand for God and his word. We have to take a stand for the gospel. We have to take a stand for these freedoms that I've mentioned. But hopefully it's in the context of the grace that we have all received in Christ already. Amen. Yeah, and I just keep thinking about First Peter 2, where we, we're going to suffer, but let's suffer for doing what's right, so that our accusers, those who are attacking us, have no real ground to stand. And I, I genuinely know from your ministry to the community there, that's what's, that's, the truth will stand out, and people who know you and know what you guys are about and doing there will stand with you. Um, and like I continually say to people all the time, if this world... This, this government structure passes away, the kingdom of Christ is going to stand. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church, but we shouldn't just lay down our arms and let them run roughshod over the things that we have either. So, um, yeah, I appreciate Steve being with us today and what you guys are doing. Any last words, any last thoughts for our audience today? Well, I appreciate what you said just about the sovereignty of God. And even in that passage that we talked about, First Timothy 1, it is interesting, and the commentators make this observation too, that the, the name for the Lord that Paul uses repeatedly in the text is, is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so like in verse 12, I, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me in this service. Well, if Jesus is my Messiah, if he's my King, if he's my Lord, then I can trust him with this. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, Curtis, when you think about this from the sovereignty of God perspective, the, and it's hard to believe, but the, the professor at Purdue University, who's also on the city council, who proposed this piece of legislation, he did not know about faith biblical counseling ministries. He did not know anything, which, which is amazing to me. He didn't even know about the controversy seven or eight years ago when we built our campus at Faith West. I don't understand that at all. So you just sit back and you almost smile. Well, if, if, if one of these unlicensed um, ordinances was going to come to any community um, on the face of God's planet, where would it be very interesting for it to start? And in Lafayette, Indiana, which has one of the oldest and largest biblical counseling centers um, in the world, I, I just, it, there's a side of me that, and you remember some of the people at the BCC said, well, if it's going to have to happen, I'm glad it's happened into faith. And um, we kind of chuckled at that, but it, at least I would say this, if 
by God's grace, there's a lot of people running around here who are very committed to biblical counseling. They're not going to give that up because of the threat of a thousand dollar fine. I've thought about these sort of matters for a long, long time and are in the position. I hope to respond with some appropriate level of force back. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. I had a, a former state legislator come up to me yesterday and say, you know, maybe the wisest thing is just to put um, laws at, at the state level that protect people doing faith-based counseling that would just nullify any of these local city ordinances. And so who knows what our sovereign God may be doing through all of this. But um, I slept like a baby last night. And um, I, I, so, you know, we're doing fine. And then we're, we're looking for ministry opportunities. And then we're just going to see what our sovereign God has for us. Yep. Yeah. We don't need to be afraid, but we should be aware and engaged. So thanks, brother. Thank you, Curtis. I appreciate the time today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.